My name is Terrence Lester, and I'm the founder and executive director of Lubby and Walls, and we're a nonprofit organization based in Atlanta, Georgia. Lubby and Walls has been a safe haven and a community center uh, in the middle of College Park near the airport for going on seven years. And it's been partnerships like uh, Revolution uh, Church that has allowed us to be empowered in this community and to continue to show up even in the midst of tense times like uh, the pandemic. In the Bible, uh, Jesus was known for washing the feet of his disciples. And so uh, we started assembling portable hand washing stations in the heart of the city, and little that we know, that campaign called Love Sinks In will begin to spread. And it ended up with us partnering with over 60 partners all around the United States. And currently to date, we have hand washing stations in 27 states and over 50 cities. We really feel impassioned, and uh, this deep sense of God's call to love our neighbor uh, even if they don't have an address. Uh, and it's like I always say, uh, just because someone doesn't have an address does not mean that they're not your neighbor. One of the reasons why our partnership with Revolution is so uh, important is because uh, partners like Revolution gives us an opportunity to sustain where we are, uh, to continue to show up in our community and to think of creative ways where we can still go out and serve those that God loves. Man, just an amazing story, and uh, Terrence is a really, really good friend of mine, and we met a little over eight years ago now, which is crazy to think about, actually at a church planting assessment, and he was going to plant a church, that's what he was going to do in the same kind of area, and the guy is just so gifted that we just began to realize that God had a lot more for him, and then he founded the organization Love Beyond Walls, and we have been a partner with them now for seven years, and it's been just incredible to see what God has done, and that's why we wanted to share that story with you today. Uh, really, and it just kind of worked out timing-wise, and, and we, we were actually going to show that video last week and then the other church planning video this week, but I think it actually fits better coming out of the message last week when we talked about restorative justice. Those of you that were here, if you weren't, you can go watch that message online. And we talked about the role of the church in the process of bringing justice. And that restorative part is when we really work as the church to restore things that have been robbed, you know, taken from people. And some of that is dignity. And some of that is helping the poor, helping those that are less fortunate than us. And Terrence has been doing that for such a long time. So we want to share that with you. And again, it's just so fitting coming out of the message last week. That's a very tangible way that our church has been really taking up the mantle, even though I may not have even preached it or described it like that before, to say that this part of restorative justice, this is the things that we are doing as a church to make that happen. And the whole Love Sinks In campaign that you heard briefly about there is just an idea that he had, because when, when COVID started, not only were we all looking for hand sanitizer and toilet paper and all that stuff, you remember, you know, even now, you know, it's kind of a run on those things. Well, Terrence thought of an entire group of people that didn't even have the ability to go to the store and purchase stuff and homeless people and came up with this idea to actually take hand washing stations to them so that they could still sanitize and be safe. And like he said, he's now in over 20 states. And that is because of your generosity as a church. So give it up for yourself. Give it up for Terrence. It's such an incredible, incredible story. Uh, and thank you for being such a generous church. All right, now open up your Bible to Micah chapter 7. Now, if you were watching on last week, uh, watching online last week or in our Thursday night gathering, um, I actually said Ma uh, Matthew several times when I meant to say Micah. And so that's, I guess that's a Freudian slip kind of thing. So if you notice that and you're like, you actually said the wrong book, I did. Uh, and so I just want to preface it today that if I happen to say Matthew instead of Micah, then just have grace for me, all right? I, we're in the book of Micah, not in the book of Matthew, all right? So I just want to clarify that. And we're actually in Micah chapter 7, and we're going to work through several scriptures today, verses 1 through 17, and then we'll actually finish up the book of Micah next week at our Christmas at Revolution gatherings. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. But as always, let's pray before we jump into the text today, and then we'll jump in, all right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace, as always, in our life. And as we open up your word here today, God, I pray that, as always, you would speak to us. 
Uh, and even today, as we're going to talk even specifically, uh, like the verse in Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 13 says that your word goes forth and accomplishes the purposes for which you have sent it. And so, God, we pray that you would do that today, that you would accomplish the purpose of your word in our lives to grow us, to produce in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so, God, we know that through the preaching of your word and through the power of your spirit, that that can happen. So we submit ourselves to you today and ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what you're going to see in Micah chapter 7 is actually kind of three sections of scripture. We're not hitting all of chapter 7. Like I said, we'll hit the, the last section. So really, Micah, Micah 7 has four sections in it, and we'll hit verses 18 through 20 next week. But this week, we're going to do verses 1 through 17, and it's kind of broken up into three sections. So verses 1 through 6 first, we'll deal with that, and then verses 7 through 13, and then deal with that section, and then verses 14 through 17, all right? So let's go Micah chapter 7 in this first section, verses 1 through 6. This is Micah talking still, and now he's talking in first person. He says, woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. What is he talking about? Verse 2 tells you, the godly has perished from the earth. And there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each, the, uh, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters evil, utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together." Like Sir, Fran I think Sir Francis Scott is actually who wrote the, so sorry, Sir Walter Scott's epic poem, Oh, What a Tangle Web We Weave. And then the next line there, when we first, when first we practice to deceive. And so what Micah is saying here is he's describing the state of people in his day. He's saying, woe to me in the same type of way that after harvest, there's nothing left. There's no fruit left because it's all been picked off. And, and my family, we love to go apple picking and strawberry picking and blueberry picking. And we now know that since we moved to Georgia over, you know, almost, uh, almost 11 years ago now, we now know when to go to pick while there's still stuff on the trees because there's nothing more frustrating uh, to go out there and you're trying to pick something off the trees and it's not there. And you can't find anything, and you're just kind of scouring around. Well, Micah is using that analogy, analogy to describe the people of his day. He's saying, woe is me to the point where I've looked around, and there is no fruit in people's lives. There's no fruit on the tree of people's lives. In fact, he says, the godly have perished. There are no godly anymore around me. And so here's Micah, who is a prophet of God who is called by God to go and speak to, like I've told you before, the northern and southern kingdoms because they were divided. They didn't have integrity, like we've talked about our theme word for 2020. They weren't integrated as a people. They reproduced the sin of Jacob, which was duplicity. And so now Micah's looking around at a prophet and he's saying, man, this is like a sparse orchard. There is nothing here. And then he starts describing how the people of his day are acting. Now, you have to remember, again, this is a little over 700 years before Christ, and it's pretty amazing to me the descriptions he is using to describe how the people were acting. And if I'm honest, it sounds pretty much like how people have been acting in 2020. I mean, look back at what he says. He says, the godly has perished. There is no one upright. They all lie in wait for blood. Now this one, uh, just the visual picture of it. And each hunts the other with a net. I mean, doesn't it feel like in a lot of ways as the pandemic and politics have exploded in 2020, that this is how we now treat our neighbors? Instead of trying to build up our neighbors, we're trying to catch our neighbors in nets. We are kind of taking the posture towards people. You're my enemy. You're my enemy. Are you pro-mask, anti-mask, pro-Trump, anti-Trump? What side are you on, right? And we figure out all these ways to divide people up, whether it's class or color or creed, whatever it is. 
our side, their side. And, and, and we don't take the mantra like Terrence talked about in the video where he says, you don't have to have an address to be my neighbor. Wasn't that a profound statement? I thought, man, that what a, what a statement. That's my boy Terrence. He's like a smart, one of the most creative dudes I've ever met. And yet, that's what we are called as the church to do in the world. So you have to remember, Micah is not describing people here that didn't know God. He's not describing what we would categorize today like the worldly people. He's not describing the secular people or the humanist people or the antichrist people. He's, he's not describing those people. Who's he describing? What we would say today is church folk. And sometimes it's church folk who are out for the most blood, right? Who walk around with the biggest nets trying to catch people. I mean, there's so many times, and again, I've said my story so many times, that I didn't grow up in church, and then when I started going to church as a teenager, you know, I came to Christ and I loved Christ, but then I learned pretty quickly not to say anything to Christians because they were always trying to catch me doing wrong. And then we create these accountability groups, right? And there's not a lot of grace in accountability groups. It's just like, oh, we just want to catch each other doing wrong. So I joined a couple of accountability groups for like a few weeks, and I'm like, I'm out. Because all it was is a group to just call out how we're all catching each other to do doing wrong. And I'm not saying, there, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't be in those kind of relationships. We should. But what my point was is what I learned with Christians, it wasn't a lot of people who actually wanted to walk with me and help me through it. It was just a lot of people who wanted to catch me. There's a difference. You see what I'm saying? And, and I want you to understand that Micah is describing what we would say today is Christians. Christians. In fact, look at verse 4. He says, the best of them. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. It got so bad, Micah says this. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I guess that's where the in-law problems came from, right? And a man's enemies are the men of his own house. Now, again, you could apply this twofold. You could apply this to your biological family, and you could apply this to your church family. And think about that for 2020. How the mantra has been, in a lot of ways, it's like, well, I don't care if you're a Christian or not, if you're not on the right political side with me. I don't care if you're my family or not, if you don't vote like I vote or talk like I talk or think like I, talk, uh, I think or, or, or you watch that news organization, Right? How quickly those that we are either biologically destined to love or been born into the family of God, which is not biological, it's through adoption, that we are now called to love. And yet, Micah, when I read this through the first six verses, I'm like, I couldn't have written a better six verses to describe how people have acted in 2020. Families, biological families having such division to where even it's like at Thanksgiving. I mean, used to, it was like, you know, just kind of refined to your crazy uncle, right? Or like, oh, that, oh, that, everybody knows that cousin, right? Especially in my family, the family tree don't branch off very much. And so you got that cousin, you got that uncle, you like those, but now it becomes this point of like, well, I can't say this or I can't say that or how do I talk about this? Because why? Because as everything has exploded, again, pandemic and politics, what it has done is it has just increased our level of contempt and discord as well. It's like we've just tracked a lot of right along with it. The harder it got, the harder we got and the less loving we became. And again, that's one of the reasons why I felt like God wanted us to go through this text during this time is because, as Pastor David talked several weeks ago, 
We are not called to be hardened by the circumstances like the egg is or be softened by the circumstances like the carrot is, but to be the bean, to actually affect our circumstances around us, not let those circumstances affect us. And, and as I was thinking through this description, it was like, man, what a great description of what has happened, unfortunately, to so many people, even in the church. Where we are no longer caring so much about helping people grow, you know, our mission as a church, and we're concerned far more about catching people. And then I thought this. Do you know a better description of the comment section on any website than verses one through six? If you want to know what the comment sections are like, just read verses one through six. Try to catch people in net out for blood. <laughs> Even the best of us, he says, are like briars. No trust in a neighbor. Telling off your own father and mother. You just use the pandemic to finally write off your in-laws forever, right? And yet, is that what we're called to be? Are we called to be the type of people that show up in the world like thorn bushes? No. In fact, as I was studying this and thinking about it, I referenced this actually in my prayer earlier. For those of you old school revolution people that were here long before we had Jasper, long before we had our permanent location in Canton, back in 2011, back in 2011, we bought our property in Canton, the property that I'm preaching from, the property that our Canton location sits on. And on this property, when we bought it, it was a little bit more of a hill. We took it down several feet, spread it out so we could actually have a flat surface to build a building. But at the top of the hill, geographically located to my left and from where you're watching to your right, there was a group of trees that I had never seen before because apparently they're a Georgia type of tree called a hawthorn tree with the biggest stinking thorns on it I have ever seen, ever seen. In fact, I got a picture of it here on the screen. You can look at this. These thorns here were like two to three inches long two to three inches long. And I was out here praying one day just before we even bought the property and praying over it and kind of walking around. And I caught one of those suckers in the arm. And I thought, Dad, come, that is the biggest sword I've ever seen. It was so big. One of our staff members at the, t at the time, Jennifer, cut off branches of that and made a crown of thorns like that, what they put on Jesus's head. And, and then she kept that in her office. And I'm like, well, that is a scary looking crown of thorns right there. I mean, big old honking thorns. And then I was reading in my devotional one day and I came across this verse in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 13. And I'm going to read it to you. It's not here on the screen, but I want to read it to you because I think it's germane, pun intended there, all right, to our conversation. It says this in Isaiah, and I'm actually going to read it out of the NIV for a, a reason. It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Verse 12, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Verse 13, instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So back in 2011, after I discovered that tree and we were doing series because we didn't move into our building in Kent until January of 2013, I did a series called Instead of the Thornbush. Now, you're an OG revolution person if you remember that series, all right? But we did a series called Instead of the Thornbush, and it was based upon that text in Isaiah 55. I had no idea at the time, and it wasn't until I was studying Micah 7, that I realized the connection here. 
See, Micah and Isaiah were contemporaries of each other from a prophetic standpoint. Isaiah is the greatest Old Testament prophet ever. And here's Micah picking up on the same type of theme that Isaiah was saying in Isaiah 55. And what was Isaiah saying in Isaiah 55? He's saying, listen, when the word of God goes forth and accomplishes the purpose that it has for you, it changes you. It transforms you from being a thorn bush into a juniper, into something that harms people, into something that helps people. And so I told our church at the time, not only when we came here, we were going to have to tear down the hawthorn bush trees. Uh, or trees, not bush trees, but the hawthorn trees and get rid of the thorns. I was saying, we want to grow a group of people out of this location that aren't thorn bushes, but are blessings, are myrtles, are junipers, are people whose lives used to look like that, but were transformed by the gospel. And now because of the word of God, their life has been transformed. And so that's why when we built this building, just like we built our one in Jasper, we planted a Bible in the stage. Because we wanted this church to be built upon the word of God. Because what does the word of God do? It transforms from thorn bushes into blessings. And that's what Micah is saying here that the people of God forgot at that time. They forgot that the power of God shows up in their life through the word of God. And it transforms them from the type of people that are no longer thorn bush people. No longer people that are just looking to catch people, but check this, the type of people that are looking to release people, release people from their slavery to sin that we talked about last week, restore people into right relationship with God and others. And so the first section that we're looking at here in Micah chapter seven is Micah lamenting over the fact that his people weren't showing up in the world like Isaiah 55 type people, but they were showing up in the world like they hadn't been transformed and they were still acting like thornbush people. So 2020 has been hard for everybody. Yeah. And that wrestle that we've gone through, like we talked about in our last series, but what is the wrestle for? The wrestle is so that God can transform you away from being that type of person. And now look at the next section of scripture, Micah chapter seven, verses seven through 13. How does that happen then? If we want to be transformed from being thorn bush type of people, how does that happen? Well, Isaiah 55 tells us how by the word of God, but Micah is going to explain it even further in verses seven through 13. So here's the second section. Look at verse seven. Micah says, but as for me, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord, for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Verse nine, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me. Now don't miss this phrase. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. So how does Micah respond? And this is why I want us to understand something. And I've titled the message today is, but as for me. B-A-F-M. But as for me. You, you know what the enemy wants to do, and I told you this in our last series, the enemy will want nothing more than for 2020 to cause you to skim on your own personal transformation. Just to skim on it. And how do you skim on your own personal transformation? We spend way more time worrying about politics than we do our personal life. We spend way more time watching the news instead of being in the word. He would want nothing more than for us to do the exact opposite of verse seven, where Micah says, you know what? There's no one godly out here. And Micah is saying, even myself, even myself, I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Why? Because I have sinned. 
So the first step of growth, listen to me, church, the first step of growth is not blaming everybody else out there for the state of our country, but looking in the mirror and saying, you know what? It's on me. It's on me. Because the state of the world is just an indication of the state of my own heart. But as for me, but you don't want to know what the devil wants you to say? No, 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 no. Don't B-A-F-M, B-A-F-T, but as for them. But as for them, well, let me ask you a question. And it's just rhetorical. You don't have to answer it out loud unless you're watching online. You can yell all you want. I can't hear you, all right? But when you think about the biggest problems in the world today, what comes to your mind? And we did this at the beginning, welcome to the wrestle. If the president or pandemic or whatever comes to your mind, then you're missing the point. The biggest problem in the world today is facing you in the mirror. Facing me in the mirror. It's me. And why am I stressing this? Because you can't control everybody else, can you? Have you learned that yet? Those of you that are parents, you learned that lesson painfully. You can't control them. Those of you that are married, right? When you said, I do, you were also saying, I will. I will change you. Right? How's that working for you? Anybody? Who here did not marry the future version of what they thought that person would be? You all did. You all married the future version of that person. Why? Because when you were up there saying, I do, you were presenting a false self too. Right? You're like, once she said, I do, then I will say, well, here's everything I did. We all do that. And the solution to your marriage, again, is not elbowing your spouse whenever I say something. It's elbowing yourself. But as for me, two things he says here. I will look and I will wait. I will look and I will wait. I will look to the Lord and I will wait for the God of my salvation. Two very important things, and here's why they're so important. It's because you have to understand, and we'll do this more in January when we talk about our Abide series, and it's an annual tradition for us, and I'm telling you now, just so you're reminded, we're doing our 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, and yes, you need to come to church then, even all you online people, all right, you're going to be fasting even online, just because I can't see you in person doesn't mean you can be eating Oreos for 21 days, all right? So just remember, from January 11th to January 31st, we'll be doing our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And the reason why we do that is because we're refocusing ourselves on abiding. But here's what we need to know. What abiding requires from us is waiting. Because God, if we've learned anything in 2020, is that God doesn't move on our timetables. God start, listen to me, this is going to help you a lot. God starts small and he moves slow. Again, we'll talk more about this in January. He starts small and he moves slow. Why? Because the metaphor that he gives us as the primary idea of growth is the seed. And I've talked about this before, but if you put a seed in the ground and then you pour concrete over it, in the long run, who's going to win, the seed or the concrete? It's no contest. The seed wins every time because it's going to grow through even the hardened things that have put over it, but it won't happen in a day. It starts small and it moves slow. Listen, you one of the most pain, I'll get into this more in just a second. One of the most painful things that has happened in our church this year is seeing people bail on God, seeing people bail on the body of Christ, the church. Quit looking to God and quit waiting on him. Why? Because they were frustrated that it was too small and God was moving too slow. But what does Micah say here? But as for me, what am I going to do? I'm going to look and I'm going to wait. I referenced this last week, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says this, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author, which means he began it, and perfecter, which means he will finish it of our faith. So he began your faith and he's going to finish your faith. Through the joy set before him, and we talked about this last week, right? Scorn the, the, the shame of the cross. 
and is now seated at the right hand of God. You want to know one of the biggest critiques of Jesus's life and ministry is it wasn't big and it wasn't fast. Every time that Jesus did a miracle, what did he do? He's like, oh, it's getting too big. Let's go over here. I can't handle all these people, all these crowds. I can't go be alone. And they even told Jesus when it was time for the festival, they were in Nazareth, like, hey, let's go up to Jerusalem. Because if you want to be famous, if you want to make a name for yourself, now's the time, Jesus. And what does Jesus go? Y'all go ahead, ain't my time. See, Jesus starts small and he moves slow. And this is why I'm telling you, if you want to be transformed out of thornbush type of people, there's two things you got to do. You got to keep looking at Jesus and you got to keep waiting on Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus and keep waiting on Jesus. And this is where, again, the lesson for us as Christians in 2020 is when you start feeling marginalized in the culture, we don't fight back with power and try to gain our influence back. We sit, we sit still and we stay quiet and we look and we wait. We look at Jesus and we wait. You see this all throughout human history. When the church in China was big and the communist government came in power and shut down the church, everybody was devastated because they said the church was growing. It was exploding. Then they shut it all down. But Jesus had a plan, and I've said this before. The communist government thought it would be a great idea to embarrass the pastors, so they put the pastors of the churches on trash duty. Well, they didn't realize they just sent pastors to every person in China. And so as they were picking up trash, they were sharing Christ, and the gospel exploded over a thousandfold 20 years later. Because what you think is a setback is only a setup. What you think is losing is only winning. What you think is death is really resurrection. See, Micah understood this. He said, God is punishing us right now. God is about to send us into exile right now. And what all of our enemies is going to say is, where's our God? Look at the next verse, verse 10. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. Verse 11, a day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundaries shall, far be, uh, shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. What is he saying? Right now, all your enemies are saying, we're winning, you're losing. Where's your God? He's punishing you. He's destroying your temple. He's pushing you into exile. You're losing. And what is Micah saying? Aha, but I will win. Why? Because I'm gonna keep looking I'm going to keep waiting. And what is my God going to do? Just when my enemies think they've won. Just when the people have said, where is your God? Jesus is going to come back from the dead. And see, here's the temptation, my friends. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he was being mocked by the Roman soldiers saying, if you're God, take yourself off. Take yourself off the cross. Get off of this. And they even gave him this weird kind of cocktail mixture of alcohol so that he could drink and numb his pain. But in the worst of times, listen, Jesus didn't retreat and he didn't numb. He hung there. And this is where so many Christians miss out on the growth in their life because they try to numb it with food or alcohol or they get off the cross. And what is Micah saying? He said, but not for me. But as for me, I'm going to look and I'm going to wait. Why? Because he will. 
I will because he will. Don't miss this, church. I will because he will. I will wait because he will bring me out. What kind of faith and trust is that, man? How could Micah endure the discipline? This is what's crazy about Jesus. How could, at least Micah understood that he had sinned and he deserved it, but Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't deserve the discipline. And there's these weird verses in the Bible that say that through suffering, Jesus had to learn obedience. What does that mean? It means that sometime your suffering is not a result of your disobedience, it's a result of your obedience. Sometimes the discipline comes because, yes, you sinned and deserved it. And God is disciplining you now. Why is he disciplining you now? So that you won't be a desolation later. See, discipline now defines you, but desolation later destroys you. So Jesus, I think in 2020, is disciplining his church to see where our trust is. Is it in our job? Is it in our leaders? Or is it in our God? And so 2020 looks like a loss, man. Not as many people attending, not as many people giving, not as many people involved. What is happening? Jesus is dying on a cross. We're getting exiled. What's going on, God? You know what God is doing? He's preparing the remnant for a revolution. And yes, that is our name. But see, here's the thing. We'll never get to that if we don't remain. If we don't hang in there. And that's what Micah is saying to us. But as for me, I'm going to look and I'm going to wait. Why? Because a day is coming where God will build again. He will. I will because he will. He will build again. And that day he will build See, here's the thing. Everybody who looks at 2020 is like, this isn't a building year. This is a deconstructing year. And yes, that's right. But what comes after that? What comes after pruning? What comes after removing of the thorns? The fruit. If you didn't understand the mind of a gardener, you would think God is crazy for cutting the way he does. And this is what I had to learn. I've shared this with you before in 2017. When you're getting cut back, it feels like you're getting cut off. It feels the same. I'll never forget telling Lindsay because so much happened in our life in 2017 where God was cutting me back personally. I mean, so much that he was cutting me back. And I I mean, I'm just getting cut left and right and it's painful. And I'm looking at the tree of my life. I'm like, gosh, it's bare. And I'll never look, never forget looking to Lindsay and saying, Lindsay, you know what? Getting cut off and getting cut back feels the same. And the reason why I struggle so much is because I don't know if God is cutting me off or cutting me back. And I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm not saying I lost it. But what I'm saying is it felt like it. Right? It feels like losing. You want to know why it feels like losing? Because it is losing. But what are you losing? You're losing all the dead things that needed to go anyway. You're losing all the things that God doesn't want attached to you anymore. That's why Micah can say in faith, I'll keep looking and I'll keep waiting because he will. He will bring a remnant out of this. Pastor David already said that in Micah chapter five. He'll bring us back and one day... Our walls that are torn down are going to be built back. And Nehemiah did that. Ezra brought the word. Nehemiah brought the walls back. Ezra brought the word back. And all that came after God cut out of their lives all those who didn't believe. So here's how we can trust God even when it's so dark. Even when Discipline is so painful, and you can say every day, but as for me, 
I'm going to keep looking and I'm going to keep waiting. Because if he brought Jesus back from the dead, then he can turn the worst circumstance in my life around. Why? Because he's already turned the worst circumstance in human history around. The son of God dying. I mean, think about that. It doesn't get any worse than God dying. I mean, sometimes we think it's worse when our president loses, but it's way worse when your God dies. And here's the Bible saying, even in that, God has a plan to turn it around for his glory and your good. So now let's go to the third section of scripture. And this is what I'm going to end with. Verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff. Now, He's obviously talking about the idea of a shepherd and sheep and a staff as a wooden figure that, you know, he leads them and currently sometimes beats them with. But I think, you know, for our purposes today, we could say shepherd your people. That would be me as the pastor with our staff, with our staff members. We are called to shepherd what the flock of your inheritance who, now listen to this, who dwell alone in a forest, almost said in a furnace. That would make sense, but it's not what it says there. But listen to these next three words, in the midst. Who dwell alone in a forest, in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in, Gilead as in the days of old. Now what you need to know about Bashan is the northeastern part of uh, Israel, and that is the part where you go up to Caesarea Philippi and the, the cows of Bashan, as, as Amos talks about. That was the, the part literally where they believe heaven and or, or hell and earth came. Literally, that's why they sacrifice animals and children there at the temple ground of Pan, the God of Pan. And so when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, he was talking about that place. Well, that area is Bashan. So what is he saying here? What he's saying is, listen, in the areas that you used to be oppressed by those spiritual forces, I'm going to let you graze in. In the areas that used to rule you, you will go back and graze in with new power. And it's my job as the pastor of our church to shepherd you into that. But here's what I want you to see. You'll never get that if you give up now. We'll never get resurrection unless you die first. And what is 2020? Make no mistake about it, friends. It is a death. That's why it's so painful. All these things that we trusted in are dying. And we need to grieve that and mourn that. But better yet, we need to grieve and mourn the fact that we actually trusted in them more than we did God. And so here's why I, I stress this so much. Because that phrase there, shepherd your people, is written in the imperative, which is a command. So it is a command on me to shepherd you well. And sometimes shepherds have to use their staff. Now, this could be staff members that we have. Or it could be a staff in my hand. And so sometimes as a shepherd, I got to come to you as sheep and be like, quit thinking that. Quit doing that, right? Spare the rod, spoil the child. You're all good with that when it comes to parenting, but you ain't good with it when it comes to pastoring, are you? There's a lot of people that left the church, but church hurt, but all it was was church discipline. Their pastor telling them, hey, you shouldn't do that. Well, you hate me. No, I don't hate you. In fact, I might be the only person who loves you. Because if I hated you, I would let you stay in your sin. But if I loved you, I would tell you about your sin so you could be free from it. So the call of God on my life is to shepherd you well. And what does that include? It includes you understanding what God is doing. Verse 15. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, <laughs> I will show them marvelous things. I will. I'm not right now, but I will. I will show them marvelous things. 
The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. Listen to verse 17, last verse in this section. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. Who do you think that's a reference to? The devil. The curse that God pronounced on to the devil, the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, 15 and 16 is that he would now crawl around on his belly. What is God saying? He is saying all the nations who follow him are going to get the same judgment as him. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come out trembling. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of who? Come on, church. Let's try. They should be in fear of who? You. All you online people, come on. They should be in fear of who? You. This ain't a sermon about you. It's a sermon about him. But if we're with him, when it looks like we lose, we win. If we're with him, if we're in him, we'll die a thousand deaths to get resurrection life. If we're with him, we'll bear the judgment of God on our sin. We'll say, you know what, as for me, I'm the problem, man. It ain't my wife's problem. It ain't my husband's problem. It's my problem. So I'm going to keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, and I'm going to keep waiting on Jesus. Because his work may seem small, it may seem slow, but it is powerful and it wins every time. So I'm going to keep looking, I'm going to keep waiting because one day my enemies will wish that they had looked and that they had waited. Because when we win in the end, they will be judged in the end. They will get the desolation that destroys but thank God we got the discipline that defined. Thank God he loved us enough to make us aware of our sins so that we could repent and walk in him. Thank God we are in that group, even though it looks like we're losing now. And so church, as your pastor, as one who is called to shepherd you, I want to leave you with this. I hope that you come out of today saying, as for me, as for me, I will not look at the world around me and become like what I used to be, like a thorn bush. I will not let the world around me define me. I'm not going to look to the news organizations or the latest thing that's happening with the pandemic or politics. I'm going to look at his word because Isaiah 50, 55, 10 through 13 says his word goes forth and it will accomplish. And what is his purpose to grow you? That's why our mission is to grow. That's what we'll talk about in abide. But my contention to you now is this. Listen, church, if you miss the discipline you will miss the fruit. So as painful as it is, let's all say, but as for me, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna wait, because I trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, because we do know it does have power, and it does go forth like rain, and it does bring forth growth and it does transform us out of being the thorn bush instead of the thorn bush a, a myrtle something beautiful will grow and so God that's what we want to happen in our lives and so God I pray that this word today would have its intended effect in twofold one for those who have never trusted in Jesus who have never understood how Jesus took on the cross the punishment for their sins. And he perfectly obeyed, but yet he was treated like he disobeyed so that he could give us his righteousness and take from us our sin. And, and for those people that are not 
grazing in the lands of the things that used to oppress them. Now having power and authority over the things that used to have power and authority over them that can only come through the name of Jesus. And so God, I pray right now that you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never come to that place where you have, like Micah, have said, I've sinned and I bear the indignation, then you can do that in a time of confession. And when you confess that, then God will make you alive in Christ and you'll be saved and brought into the marvelous light. So if that's you and you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me. And it goes like this. You don't have to do it out loud. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. And I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I confess I'm a sinner. And I now receive Christ and I'm trusting in him alone. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed and trusted Christ and you're in one of our physical locations, we want to know about that. So you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. Those online and in person, you'll have an opportunity in just a second to text us your information. Let us know who you are. But then all of us, that have trusted Christ, whether that was today or years and years ago, I pray that we would understand the work of God and what he's doing in 2020. Oh, he's working to cut off all the things and maybe even people, relationships in our lives that we're not bearing any fruit, that we're not producing the righteousness that he wants and and, and we would allow the Lord to do his disciplining work. And we would take the words of Micah to heart where we would say, but as for me, I will look and I will wait. Even though my enemies think that I'm losing, even though people may mock me, I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep waiting because I know that he will bring me out. So Father, I pray that you would give us that kind of faith where we would trust you. Oh, it's so easy to trust you when things are good. But there's nothing like having to trust you when we got nobody else. So God, thank you for that this year. Thank you for stripping away so many things that we might put our hope and trust in. And as we face the prospects of a new year, we trust you. We will keep looking we will keep waiting because we know you will. Thank you for shepherding us well as our chief shepherd. And it's in his name that we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you, church.